everlasting life. But we're not just going to stop there, because guess what? That's not just a verse floating out in the air somewhere, right? There's context. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we continually look to you because our need doesn't stop. But we are always in need, as we are in need of air, oxygen, as we are in need of food and nourishment. So our souls are in need of your goodness, of your life-giving power to sustain us. So Father, we look to you that you would continue to give us life, that you would give new life even this morning as we look to the words of Christ our Savior and Lord. We ask these things uh, for your glory and the good of your church. Amen. A couple years ago, I uh, preached on John 3.16 for Easter, and I thought it appropriate to return and to look at the context maybe in a more fuller way. It's interesting that this, in these three verses, we find the word believe four times in three verses. You think that's important? Yes. Yes, that is very important. So the question arises, well, what does it mean to believe? Right? We throw that word around all the time, unlike some other words in Scripture like propitiation and um, righteousness and atonement. Believe is a word we use, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing because we're, we're used to it. It flows off of our tongue just fine, but the other part that's not so good is that maybe we don't understand it in um, a spiritual way as it is used in Scripture. For instance, um, you may believe that it's going to rain. You may believe um, that an election was stolen. You may believe you may believe a lot of different things. Is that the same kind of belief that Jesus is talking about here? Surely they're related, but I do believe that there is more. We touched on this a little bit before, but the idea of believing in Scripture is connected, especially in John, which this is John three sixteen, right? John uses the word believe in connection with receiving, right? These are two ideas that go together. To believe and to receive go hand in hand. For instance, in John chapter 1, we read this. But to all who did receive him, to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, have the right to become children of God. Later in John chapter 5, Jesus says, I have come in my father's name. And you do not receive me. If another one comes in his name, you will receive him. But how can you believe when you receive glory that comes from another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? You see, believing and receiving go hand in hand. When you welcome, when you welcome, what, what you welcome into your life becomes what you're capable of believing. Did you know that? What you welcome into your life enables you or prohibits you to believe certain things. Now, Jesus makes that pretty clear here. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another? So the fact that they receive glory from one another, that's sort of seeking that thing. How can you believe when you're receiving that? What you receive in life, what you welcome into your life, affects what you believe. We often want that to be the opposite, right? Why well, believe these things to be true, and so therefore I receive these other things. But Jesus says it's actually the opposite. 
Okay? He then says, he then says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? So what you seek affects what you receive, and what you receive affects what you can believe. So it goes like this. You seek out something based upon your desires, right? These particular people, they wanted status. They wanted to be famous. They wanted people to glorify them. So that's what they sought. All right? Whatever you think will make you happy, that's what you're seeking after. Whatever's going to give you the good life, that's what you're seeking after. Okay? And when you get it, then you receive something into your life, meaning you welcome it. And it begins to mold you. It begins to change you. You let it impact what you think. You let it impact what you do. All right? You let it impact everything about you. You receive that thing that is precious to you, and it changes who you are. You begin to operate your life around that specific thing. So then, in order to keep that thing in your life, you begin to fashion your beliefs around it. So you can support your consumption of whatever it is. That's what these people had done. They were too busy seeking the glory of man so that they could not receive Jesus Christ and believe in him. So, when such a thing starts to have an adverse effect on our lives, if it means that we need to um, do whatever we have to, if it starts to have adverse effects, what do we do? We rationalize it, right? We start to defend it. We start to craft defenses to say, oh, it's actually okay, or no, 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 I'm not having this problem in my life because I'm not taking responsibility for things. That can't be it. It has to be something else. We begin to form a worldview in order to keep that precious thing in our life. And it can be many different things. All right? We do it with almost anything under the sun. Good things and bad things. You can do it with money. You can do it to success. You can do it with stuff. You can do it with shopping, entertainment, status. You can do it with having an, an ideal family. You can do it with your own self-image or reputation. All right, Whatever you deem to be important, you give the right away to operate your life. And Jesus says, you are actually incapable of believing in me because you are receiving glory from man rather than seeking the glory of God. Let's keep that in mind as we look at another passage on belief. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So here there's a direct relationship with believing in Jesus and not thirsting. Meaning, belief in Jesus satisfies your soul like water your thirst. Like water quenching your thirst, that is what Jesus does to your soul. Is that how you think people would explain it? If you were just to go down the street and say, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, I mean, I, I believe that he existed. Some people might go so far as to say, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe that that sin, that that death covers my sin. Well, does he satisfy your soul? What? What does that even mean? Belief in Jesus, saving belief in Jesus, means that he satisfies your soul. 
So, if Jesus satisfies the soul, let me connect that with what I just said. We are seeking to receive that which we think will satisfy us. That's what everyone does. Everyone has the same goal in life. Did you know that? Everybody wants to be happy. What you deem will make you happy, you live in a country where you're free to go pursue that. But, in some way, as that thing penetrates our life, as we receive it over and over again, we begin to craft our worldview, our thinking, our lives around that thing. It becomes a treasure, and we build a castle around it to keep it safe because we believe it is what will give us happiness. So this, present, this prevents our hearts from acknowledging that we still have a need. We convince ourselves that we're okay. We convince ourselves that this is really the good life or worse. We recognize that we don't have it. And we get plunged into despair or anxiety. The mental health crisis, as it's been called today, is growing exponentially. People going to addictions, people trying to end their lives, is at an all-time high, especially among teenagers. You see, we become too busy trying to justify our treasure in life to actually acknowledge that it's not satisfying us. The fact that it's actually rotting away before our very eyes. We have it so far in. We've built so many defenses around it that we can't even see that it's rotten. We will go to it again and again and again because it's called a habit. Your soul has habits. You go to things over and over again. I kind of... But one little illustration, well, an illustration that I thought of to explain this a little bit is being lost at sea. You're lost at sea and you're thirsty and there's water all around you and not a drop to drink. And yet, water becomes so precious to you that you convince yourself it'll be okay, it'll sustain me just a little bit. And you go to it over and over again and it begins to cause you dehydration and you become psychotic, you become hallucinatory. And you think it's actually helping you and it's hurting you. And all the while, there is someone in the boat with you saying, no, I actually have living water to give to you. But you become so distracted, you become so enthralled with the fact that your water is good enough that you are literally killing yourself rather than taking the water that Jesus offers. Jesus says to these people, You can't believe in me because there's no room for me in your soul. You are too busy seeking and receiving that which won't satisfy you. You have made the wrong things the most important things, and now your false beliefs are in place to support the things you love and enjoy. He can't come in and satisfy you because your soul is already full of junk. That, I think, is the spiritual condition of our culture. We are bombarded with entertainment, with ideas, with movies, with activities. That we are so full of junk that's rotting away and we think this is the way it's supposed to be. No wonder people are lost 
and dying and addicted. If this is you, there's only one thing that you can do. Repent. Turn away from what you are using to satisfy your heart. There's living water that Jesus offers you. Empty yourself of all the idols that you turn to to make your life worth living that aren't subjected to Jesus. You see, some of the things that were shared in the testimony were great things. Having a business is wonderful, right? Being a productive member of the society is great. But when you're using it to fulfill a void that only Jesus can fulfill, it will turn your life to rot. So ask him. Ask him to come in and clean out your heart of all the junk that's in there. You've stored up petty little treasures that are going to rot. And he's got to go in there with a shovel and clean it out. And it's going to be stinky. It's going to be smelly. It's not going to be any fun. But you'll be clean. You'll have room to receive Jesus. And he will give you the living water. He's going to tell you things you don't want to hear. He's going to do things in your life that's going to hurt. But he does it to heal you. He does it to make you new. He will tell you those things and he will do those things for your good if you will trust him. So look with me at verse 18 and then we'll return to verse 17 to conclude. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. Verse 18 says whoever believes in him is not condemned. So what is eternal life? Eternal life is not being condemned before God. Your sins are forgiven. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Whoever does not find in Christ their treasure, whoever is not satisfied in Christ is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only son, excuse me, believed in the name of the only son of God. Now to me that sounds like a circular argument. Right? You know what that is? It's like A is true because B is true and B is true because A is true. And it's like, what is, what is even going on here? So this verse can be a little tricky. But let's begin with whoever believes in him is not condemned. Again, belief is finding your treasure in Christ. It's not just a mental ascent saying, oh yeah, I believe these truths. You know, I mean, whenever I grew up in church, they said that Jesus died for my sins. Yeah, I'm going to buy that. that. That sounds okay. I'd like to be in heaven someday. That's not what belief is. Belief is finding your treasure in Christ. It's being satisfied with Christ. And whoever does not believe is condemned. The idea of, in fact, what did we just talk about in Sunday school? We we read Romans chapter 8 a little bit. There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is directly connected with belief in Jesus here in this verse. The only people who are not condemned are those who believe in Jesus Christ. Period. And this glorious statement of no condemnation is the victory cry of the church. For those who find their greatest longing satisfied in Christ, your reward is eternal life, no condemnation. But for those whom this statement is not true, Jesus says they are not just condemned, but they're already condemned. Now, what does that mean? See, those who reject Christ are not just condemned in that moment of rejection. That may sound suspicious to you. Because many people believe, as many preachers have preached 
that you go to hell because you reject Jesus. That's actually not true. It's not even remotely true. You are already on the road to hell because your sin and rebellion against God. It's not as if you're neutral and then all of a sudden Jesus comes and once you reject him, then you're on the road to hell. It's, no, you're already on that road. You're already in rebellion against sin, in your sin and rebellion against God. So if you live your own way, if you don't love God, if you fall short of his glory for which you were created, then you are already condemned. And guess what? That's every single person who's ever been born. Whether it's babies in the womb or a 90-year-old on their deathbed, every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. God created us to reflect his glory. He created us to be in a relationship with him. And guess what? We say, no, thank you. I know better. I'm going to do it my way. Just think of a teenager and that'll answer it all, okay? <laughs> I don't even have one yet. I just remember what it was like. You see, it isn't as if Christ came to a neutral human race to judge it. God judged humanity a long time ago, and he declares judgment over it all the time. How? You say, in what way is God judging us right now? For the wages of sin is death. Every single time someone dies, that is God's judgment upon the human race. Every single time. But God the Father, he didn't need to send his son, Jesus, to say what he's been saying for several thousand years. No, he sent Jesus to be the antidote for sin. You were already, you were already condemned. And Jesus came to be the antidote so that if there's a change, that's the change. It's not that you changed to being condemned. You weren't condemned and then you are. No, it's that you're already condemned and then all of a sudden you're not condemned. That's the glory of the gospel. God sent his son to be the savior of our souls. So when you reject Christ, if you reject Christ, nothing changes in your life. You continue your life as normal, following the ways you've always walked, believing in the ideas that you've always felt and thinking the thoughts that you've always had. You were condemned already. Let me share with you a passage from Romans to show you that I'm not completely off my rocker this morning. In Romans chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says this, He, that is God, God will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Many professing Christians, knowingly or not, do not accept this passage from Romans I'm being serious. Many people, whether they know it or not, don't understand what Paul's saying here because it sounds like God judges us based upon what we do and not based on whether or not we accept Jesus Christ. And guess what? That is exactly what he's saying. Because see, we confuse judgment and salvation. 
We confuse judgment and salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith, not according to works, so that no man may boast. But judgment, the judgment of God is based upon works. And Paul clearly says that here in Romans. Now let me take a minute and try to help you understand that complex issue I just said. I see some some eyes going, huh, what's he talking about? I'll do that by turning your attention back to John 3. John chapter 3, verse 19. So the verse directly after what we just said about being condemned already. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. (laughs) We are seeking things to please us. Things that promise us that promise to fill us, that we base our lives around and desire whatever we want. Whatever we think is going to fulfill us, that's the direction we're going. See, Paul calls out in Ephesians the way of the world. We, we walk according to the ways of this world, following after the principality of the air. Just whatever you think is going to suit you, you don't need God to tell you what's going to fill you. You go out and find that yourself. This leads to all kinds of evil. All the evil that humanity has ever known has come from this idea. That you can find whatever is good for you. You don't need God to tell you what that is. You see, we say evil and we get all these crazy images in our head of Nazi Germany or torture, but you know that the base of evil is actually selfishness. So every time we act in a selfish way, we are demonstrating the evil that we know. He goes on, verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Nobody wants to be in the light when they're doing something bad, right? And when they are doing something bad, they think they can change the light and say, oh, that's actually a good thing, and you have to be happy for me because I'm doing what I want to do. But whoever does what is true, all right, there's does, that's work, you're you're doing something, you're doing the truth. You're living according to the truth. All right? Whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that his works have been carried out in God. So here's, here's how I want to explain this, okay? Your works reveal if you believe in Jesus or not. Your works, the way you live your life, the things you do reveal whether Jesus Christ is your treasure or not. That's the definition of belief, right? That Jesus satisfies your soul. How you live your life tells everybody whether or not Jesus is your greatest treasure or whether Jesus is just a tool for you to get what you want. See, there is going to come a day where people say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus is going to say, away from me, You workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. And those people are going to call Jesus Lord thinking that they believed in him in a mental way, but they never treasured him in their hearts as their treasure, savored him as their treasure in their hearts. They never found satisfaction in Christ because they were too busy seeking other things to fulfill them. And Jesus was just one of those things among many. That is not fly. How we live our life shows the treasure of our hearts. All right? 
For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Out of, the, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, God knows your every thought, your every intention. But he doesn't need to know those things in order to judge you on the last day. Because your works will tell him everything he needs to know. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by our works because no one can do enough good things to get into heaven. All right? We are saved, all right, by the grace of God through faith. In our works, our lives are the fruit by which God will see if we truly believe in Jesus or not. We're not saved by our works, but our works reveal the true nature of our hearts. That is why salvation is by grace through faith, but judgment is a judgment of works. Okay, I hope I've explained that well. It is not what Jesus, or it is not what Jesus says in the Sermon on His Mount. All right, it's it's the sermon on what real righteousness is, and He's trying to get these people to understand that good deeds are not just the action, but they're the heart behind it. How do you get the heart behind it? Be poor in spirit. Confess your sin. Mourn. Grieve. Be meek. Treasure. All right. What is it? Uh, pursue hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right? Be a merciful person. See, there's a transition that, that goes. You have to empty yourself. Empty yourself. Being poor of spirit, mourning and grieving, that's an emptying yourself so that Christ can fill you, so you can receive Christ. This idea is in the Beatitudes. Jesus says at the end of Matthew, or excuse me, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 7. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Obviously not. Farmers aren't going to go out and plant soybeans and expect to get cotton. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Your fruit reveals whether or not you believe in Jesus. It's not just the words that come out of your mouth. We are saved by grace through faith. All right, we find our soul satisfied in Jesus. And that satisfaction changes our lives. It transforms who we are. When you receive Christ and he's your treasure, you're not seeking after all those other things. And so your life changes. There's a transformation that occurs. So, yes, the person who rejects Jesus is not condemned in the moment of their rejection. No, they just continue to live in the state of condemnation because they're already condemned. So what about you? I wonder, can you say and look and say, yeah, like, I treasure Jesus. He is the treasure of my heart. He is the water to my soul. I live my life not just based upon what he says so that I can work my way to heaven, but because obedience to him, I find life in it. I find, I find joy in obeying Jesus. It fills my heart with Laughter and joy and peace. If that's not you, 
that can become you. You can turn and repent. You can cry out to Christ this very day, asking him that he would be your treasure, inviting him in to clean out your soul of all the junk that you've stored up in there that you've been living for through the years. But we still, we're not done yet. We are almost done. We need to return to verse 17. So we skipped over it, if you remember. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. After all this talk of judgment, which is true and needs to be said, we need to hear this. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. It's already condemned. Jesus did not need to come and say, yeah, oh, by the way, in case you've missed it for the past thousands of years, the world is condemned. It's a terrible place. We've ruined it. No, what the world needs, what you and what I need, is a salvation for our souls found only in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, that if God did not send his son to judge the world, why why would you think he sent you to judge it? Why do you think he would send me to judge it? The one being in the universe that has the right to judge the world became a person and didn't judge it. So why do we think the church is here to to, to hand out judgment on everything? It's one thing to say, hey, that's a bad way to live. It's another to say, you can't find repentance before God. You're going to hell if you keep that up. That's not what God sent you and I to do. He sent his son to save the world and he sent us to tell people about Jesus. Has God given us a message of salvation or condemnation? Has God given us a message of judgment or reconciliation? Listen to this from Paul. He's talking about the salvation that God provided through Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You look at some Christians and you think it would say, and God gave you the ministry of judgment. God gave you the ministry of condemnation. No, no. He says that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. (laughs) Why do we spend our time judging and condemning those who need Christ's salvation most? We've been given the message that saves condemned souls from judgment. We've been given that message. You don't need... You don't cause someone to change by judging them. Has that ever worked for you? Has it ever worked for you to go up to somebody and judge them and just ream them? And they say, you know what? You're right. Man, I really need to turn over a new leaf today. No, no. People change because they're loved. I had a a client come to me one day um, about a month ago and he came to the conclusion that I was a Christian just by our conversation. He's a very bright man, um, failing at failing every class, but he reads Plato and Nietzsche and, I mean, like, Hawking. I mean, like, this guy's brilliant. And he looked at me, and, and he realized I was a Christian. He says, you think I'm going to hell? I was like, I don't, I don't know. 
And he started to curse God in my presence. He said, there, am I going to hell now? I said, that's up to God. And he looked at me with shock and said, I can respect that. God did not send me here to judge people and tell them that they're going to hell. God sent me here to preach a message of reconciliation and salvation. I don't know about you, but I believe, and I'm being honest here, I believe that more people are going to go to hell because they were told they were going to hell than are going to go to heaven because they, told, they were told they were going to hell. Fear is not how God motivates us to come to Christ. If that were the case, he wouldn't have sent Jesus, he would have sent the angel of death instead. Share truth. Share truth and love because love is how people change. So does your life display the fruit that shows a heart satisfied in Jesus? Have you received him or are you still seeking the false treasures that this world has aplenty because none of them actually satisfy? Are you receiving the things of this world that will inhibit you They'll prevent you from receiving and believing in Christ Jesus for salvation. If you have received him and believe in his name and are indeed counted as a child of God, do you carry that message of salvation around? Do you carry the message in your heart, through your actions, on your tongue, with the lost, with the people who are dying, and with the condemned souls that you interact with every day? God has given the church the message of reconciliation. That is the message of Easter. Jesus rose from the dead to forgive sinners. He was justified before God saying, yes, I accept his payment. All who are found in Christ will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word that it teaches us the truth. Lord, and I pray that you would Penetrate our hearts with the truth. As David said, plant your truth deep within us, in our most inward parts. And may it ferment there, may it sprout, may it grow, may it produce oaks of righteousness. So that others may see your goodness, may know your love, and may repent and turn to a Savior who loves them, not a Savior who condemns them. Lord, I ask that you would do these things to bring glory to your name through your church. Amen.